Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, inside of him there are two wolves. One of them is Daybound. The other one is also Daybound. It's Matt Morgan. I, I heard that Apple was designing a car these days. Uh, they want to compete with Tesla and I heard the only thing that it's missing is Windows. <laughs> Because that, Apple and Mac are different, Joey. That's, I, it took I, you a second, so I wanted to, to fill you in. It did. You, you've you got a left hook on your dad joke sometimes, and I absolutely appreciate it. Well done, Perfect. Matt. Up next, he's building a deck around the new mechanic Disturbed because he's also down with the sickness. It's Dana Roach. Oh, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are kind of finished with the Midnight Hunt spoilers here, and we're waiting for the Crimson Vow ones to start up. So I guess we're kind of in the eye of the horror cane right now. <laughs> this, is, this is the calm before the Sturmgeist, I believe. Dana... Please no. I can only <laughs> handle dad jokes from one direction, not from the other, not on both sides. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Dana, what is it that we're talking about in this week's episode? We are going to talk about rebuilding after a setback in a game. Indeed we are. This is a continuation of our last week's show. Last week we talked about a bunch of different ways to protect your board from board wipes, but in this one we want to talk about what you do when you know the board wipe is coming or when the board wipe has happened. How can you mitigate for those? How can you, you rebuild? How can you prepare? It should be a whole bunch of fun. Real quick, before we get into our main topic, let's pause and thank the folks at the Command Zone who handle our post-production, making the show look as spiffy as it does, and we want to thank our sponsors for the show too. The EDH Redcast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and the TCG player. They are the daybound to everyone else's nightbound uh, in terms of <laughs> online card shops. Just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question and choose the vendor link down below. Doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you'd prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. We have patron exclusive content that comes out every single month. So make sure you head over to patreon.com slash EDH Recast to support the show. We even have a very special tier where we just shout out somebody just for joining and supporting us and we definitely appreciate it so this week um joey wants to throw a little shade at shade jones so thank you shade for the support no i don't want to throw shade at all I, shade jones that's first of all amazing name and thank you so much for the support we appreciate it so much matt the only person i'm gonna throw shade at is you and i mean throwing shade i don't mean our, our supporter i don't mean the patron well thankfully like shade i have shadow so you can't actually block me um i'm sneaking <laughs> right past <laughs> Oh, goodness. This is going to be a weird show, everyone. Let's get right into it. Let's get to our main topic. We are talking about ways of rebuilding or preparing for setbacks, especially stuff like board wipes, because a board wipe can completely knock you off of your path, but you don't want to wind up in situations where it just gets you stuck top decking. And there are ways to prepare for that. There are things that you can do so that you won't just be stuck top decking, that a board wipe won't completely ruin you and completely knock you out of the game. So let's get into some of the different techniques, strategies, things that we can do. Matt, start us off what is one of the things that you like to do to prepare against board wipes well the big one and the, probably the most important as a combat step aficionado as, such as myself um, would need to be learning is learning when to sandbag cards um, you don't always have to just play out every single card in your hand um, i know that sounds crazy and and it, it sounds counterproductive but 
Um, if you have a pretty established board, you have the upper hand in a lot of situations, maybe don't run out any more cards. Save those just in case, you know, something goes wrong, somebody blows up everything, somebody bounces everything. Uh, you have something or just a way to reestablish the board because you're already in a dominant position. It doesn't make any sense to keep developing the board when it just leads you to that blowout being even more devastating. Mm -hmm. The classic overcommitting to the board. Yeah, um, and sandbagging maybe sounds a little bit ethically questionable as a term. Um, I prefer to just say don't overextend, I guess is the way I would say it. Like, understand what resources you don't need to put into play so you can save them for a future situation. And, and I will quick relay this anecdote. When I first started playing Commander, one of the earliest games I ever played of multiplayer was a three-player game with just two random people in a card shop where I was mana screwed and couldn't play anything. Um, and they both proceeded to beat each other up to the point where they killed one another simultaneously somehow in the game. And I won despite playing no permanence but lands. What? I literally did nothing the entire game because I like, you know, only had two lands in, in for eight turns or something. And they killed one another. And I won the game despite doing nothing. Now, that wasn't intentional on my part, but you can like conceivably win games by holding things back. Maybe not yeah. to that level. That's but, a like, bit much. <laughs> there, but there's definitely situations where like you are better served, maybe even not looking at like sandbagging or overextending. But like if two people are beating each other up, sometimes you just want to be like, you know, I'm just going to let this happen and just, <laughs> and just step aside and let them duke it out. Yeah, Very, if, if Dana yeah. wants to pay 20 life a game and, and kill himself in the process, right, uh, that's right. totally fine. I'm going to let Dana do that. I'm going to sit back and watch. Yeah, I, I love that suggestion, Dana. Very good tip. It, it, it's true. He will draw plenty of cards by paying all of that life. We know that about him. But, you know, you're also welcome to lower your own life total as much as you want. I think, too, that there are certain types of uh, cards that make it more comfortable to, like, sandbag to uh, not overextend. I think of the classics like uh, Tendershoot Dryad and Avenger of Zendikar, for example. If I've already got a really good board in play and I've got an Avenger of Zendikar in my hand or a Tendershoot Dryad, I don't need to run those out because on their own, they will fill the board right back up. So if the board I've currently got does get completely blown apart, I can just next turn drop one of those other green creatures and they will start rebuilding me all over again on their own. So those are, I think, are a really easy type of creature for me to point to and just be like, these on their own can really help me just get right back into it, no problem. And I don't need to overextend them in addition to a good board I've already got. The obvious place where, where this tends to come up, I think, Joey, is when you sit at that game and, and, you know, somebody opens with like a creature on turn one, creature on turn two, somebody else does the same thing and somebody else, you know, opens with a few things as well. And you're looking around and like everyone's playing white or black. You're like there's board wipes here. Someone's <laughs> going to cast yes. one. This is getting out of control. And maybe you just don't want to put yourself in a position to get hit by it. Mm -hmm. So like just pay to like, like the colors that are in play matter as well. When you see a lot of creatures out and you see colors that have access to board wipes and it's turn seven, you're like, man, people have churned through, you know, at this point, a decent chunk of their deck. Someone's holding a wrath of God or something waiting for the right time for it. I'm just going to not get hit by it. Not only that, but like if you see the if you see that someone else is popping off right now, if someone else has a really big board, it could also be overextending if you start building up a big right. board because player A over there, Matt, for example, might have a whole bunch of stuff in play. And if I try to put creatures into 
you know, block him or do something that could be cool. But player B, Dana over there might have a board wipe that he was going to use against Matt. And then I would have just gotten caught in the crossfire, which I didn't need to do. That is also a form of overextending, even when someone else is doing well. And you can sometimes see it in those games, too, where like the player who's playing, you know, white black, who has access to every board wipe possible, takes a turn where you're like, why did they not do anything right there? Like, yes. I feel like they're just asking everyone else to put one more round of things into play before that austere command comes down. And like that does happen very, very frequently. You can, If you're paying attention, you can see when it's going to come. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. almost an art to not just you know, not overextending or sandbagging your creatures, but also knowing how long to hold and how long you're able to hold those board wipes too. That's, I know it's kind of the antithesis to what we're talking about, but if you see somebody who has a sense of urgency, you know, you're playing against me and I'm rushing out as many creatures as possible. And so is Joey. If you're Dana, like maybe wait a turn or two, let everybody kind of beat up on each other. Maybe it's worth taking a combat steps worth of damage Mm -hmm. because somebody else is going to play even more creatures into that board wipe you're able to play next turn. Um, being mm-hmm. able to know the timing on how much value you're going to be able to get is just as important as, you know, making sure that you're not overextending yourself, but knowing maybe I can let somebody else overextend into this wrath of God I have at hand. Very, very much. All right. That's a great one. And Matt, you're totally right. I think that is probably the most important skill of these to prepare against when you know that setbacks could be coming. But let's move on to another one here. This is one that I'm really partial to. This is an exit strategy that I love just called death draw. If the board's going to die, you'll just draw a bunch of cards off of your Moldervine Reclamation, or your Skull Clamp will give you some cards back, or you've got a Yawgmoth in play so you can just sacrifice all of your creatures anyway. Refill your hand so you can just redeploy a bunch of stuff again next turn. This is a great way to not, you know, protect your board at all, but the impact of the board wipe won't be as devastating. This is my personal favorite. I, I, I know it's kind of fallen out of favor because the the mana cost of casting it, but like, does anything feel better than Decree of Pain and everyone just has to start <laughs> counting and using both hands to figure out how many creatures they had? Like, that just feels amazing, be- drawing, you know, 19 cards, something off a Decree of Pain, and then like, okay, I'm going to pass turn now. Like, th- there are situations where there's just nothing better in a game. Well, yeah, but I'm talking about when you were killing my stuff and I want to draw the cards. Not I'm killing your stuff and I want to draw the cards. <laughs> I mean, I like my version of that better where I draw stuff off your creatures dying, but I see your point. <laughs> well, and I know in, in a lot of instances having, we talk about the importance of sack outlets, just being able to do stuff at instant speed. Uh, greater good is a really fantastic mm. way to sacrifice a lot of, you know, you're playing green, you're probably playing big creatures. So being able to sacrifice them at instant speed and gain some sort of value. Yes, you have to discard a few cards down but you're, you know, more often than not, if you're drawing five to discard three, you're still going up in cards and you're still, you know, being able to filter out and get some value out of those creatures that were just going to die anyways. Um, this category, almost every single color does something along these lines where if cards or if creatures are going to die, um, you're going to be able to get something out of them. Yeah. Another one in blue, for example, like Toothy, Imaginary Friend, it loads up on a bunch of counters. And if it would die, it's just going to draw you a bunch of cards to replace itself. That's another one that's like, I could have a whole bunch of creatures in play, big, you know, huge stuff going on in this blue green deck. And if I do get the board wiped, that's okay, because I'm going to have like 12 more cards in hand again next turn. And that just makes me feel really good about continuing to put more stuff on the battlefield, because I know that the loss isn't going to be that great. Well, it- and, you know, things like Greater Good or Reclamation, Motorbound Reclamation, you can kind of see coming at least and in, in, in play around. But if someone has four mana free, when you go to board wipe and they decide to momentous fall their own, you know, 14-14 oh, yeah. creature, like 
that's really tough to bounce back from when someone draws that many cards and gains a handful of life off that. And now the board is clear, like because you've board wiped and thought you were going to reset things and instead they're just that far ahead now. Like that's th- those kind of things are like, just game changing. Yeah, can definitely really swing things back in your favor, even though you were getting set back by losing your board. Let's move on to our next one here. Dana, what's another possible exit strategy that players might use to prepare against board wipes? Another exit strategy is um, pinatas. So like you <laughs> smack someone's thing and they get a bunch of pieces of candy. <laughs> um, the most notable one I always think of here is a lend of the dusk rose where if you wrath the board, they just get a bunch of spirits that you have to then deal with or a bunch of vampires, excuse me. Oh yeah. And they're lifelinky vampires. Right. Even. It's great. And you know, Alenda was a pretty solid commander before the rule change where she actually hit the graveyard before going to the command zone. Now she is really, really strong. Yeah, White doesn't do the aristocrats terribly well, but when they do, they do it very, very well. They have Alenda the Dusk Rose, um, a personal favorite of mine, Hallowed Spirit Keeper. Uh, if you're blowing up all the creatures, I'm just going to replace them with smaller creatures and just keep, you oh, know, yeah. keep moving the attack forward. Um, that's one that has done all sorts of work in my Tasa Karlov deck. But you have cards like uh, Hangerback Walker that also can do this for any color. Um, Chasm Skulker can create an army just because it had just wanted to. Um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's all sorts of cards that are able just to put stuff back on the battlefield as soon as they get uh, destroyed. And this is where I happen to love a lot of my my effects going. Oh, yeah. No, those are such good ones. And a lot of these have a lot to do with plus one, plus one counters. So speaking of plus one counters, Felisa, Fang of Silverquill, when your stuff with counters on it dies, she replaces them with Inkling tokens. So again, you're just going to feel completely great. It was just like, oh, no, you got rid of my three creatures that had a bunch of plus one counters on them. Now I've got 15 new creatures that are evasive and they're going to hurt still. Like, that's another great piece of insurance. These are, yeah, I'm totally in love with this. But I I don't think it even just has to come down to your own stuff. I would also kind of count like Grave Betrayal in sort of this category. Grave Betrayal being that seven mana enchantment that when your opponent's stuff dies, you get it as a zombie and then you just steal their stuff. So even though the board did blow up, you still got a whole bunch of candy and that feels really, really awesome too. Well, and you talked about things like Skull Clamp um, as a death draw trigger. There's plenty of times you kind of use that as a pinata as well. You know, a lot of times it's intentionally being put on a creature to kill it to draw two cards. But there's also mm-hmm. situations where you have it and just don't happen to have any one ones out and you've got a free mana circa. Why not put it on my commander or something? That way, if someone happens to board wipe, I might as well get a couple of cards off. Like, there's no reason not to. I've done that on a lot of occasions and actually gotten a bonus out of equipping it. Well, and it, Skull Clamp is just a card that it almost discourages people from using targeted removal on certain creatures. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a massive threat, but it's something that it maybe you know, might be annoying. Put a Skull Clamp on it, and people are they're much more willing to deal with it because they just don't want you to draw two cards. Um, Skull Clamp just adds so much weird dynamics to a game. Um, yeah, it's Yes, it's insanely powerful. One of the most powerful equipments ever printed just because of all the things that it can do. But sometimes deterring people from doing more, um, that's one of its better abilities, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's a weird question kind of related to this pinata-esque category. Um, there are some of these creatures we've discussed that when they blow up, they resupply the board with a whole bunch of new bodies. But what do you think of the spells that do something similar? Um, like, Matt, are you familiar with Fresh Meat and Rise of the Dreadmarn, where when 
the board is blown up or whatever, there are instants that you can cast, and you'll get a bunch of tokens like 3-3 beasts or 2-2 uh, zombies or something like that for each of the creatures that died this turn. Do you like those? Are you more partial to the creature versions than the spells? What do you think of them? Um, it depends on the deck. I, I wouldn't be opposed to running either of those. Um, Fresh Meat has been played in a couple of my decks before. I don't think that it's made the cut recently, but um, if you have some sort of way to be triggering it consistently and getting a good army out, then yeah, definitely you want to be considering Fresh Meat for sure. And Dana, what do you think? Um, you know, I, I had a friend who used to play a lot of token decks in green too, and it was particularly brutal seeing that come down in response to a board or something when there was also a doubling season in play or something. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> like, like it's in the colors that, you know, it's a good card on its own in playing situations in a token deck in colors where you're making twice as many tokens. Just, yeah, amazing. It's a, it's a really good card in the right deck and no one is ever ready for it either. That that sounds um that sounds a little bit nasty. Before we move on to our next category, I actually have one other thing that I'm not sure if it belongs here, but I do want to shout out the Ozolith because it's just like one of the best cards ever. That like when your stuff dies, if it had counters on it, the Ozolith will store them for you, and then you can put them right back onto another creature that you play on your next turn during your combat step. Like I feel like this might also count because they blew up your stuff, but you got to keep all the candy, and then you can just get the candy back on another creature. That feels like also a form of like mitigating against board protection to me that I feel like we have to bring up in this episode because I just love putting a hundred counters onto a Nozolith and then putting them right back onto a creature, you guys. It feels so good. It's one of those cards that was kind of costed for standard. Oh, one mana to move that first strike <laughs> counter over to the Ozolith and then back to a creature. That seems fair. And an EDH that never happens. It's always, I'm going to move these 19 plus one plus one counters over on the creature I just flung at somebody and then move them back when I am in combat to something else. It's just always used for crazy things that make the one mana cost on it seem insane. Yeah, I, as much as maybe some cards have been missed, um, miscosted for Commander, I think the Ozleth is probably yeah. one of the most egregious offenders because like this card is probably like the ultimate insurance policy. You, you can call it Jake from State Farm. Like it's that good. <laughs> It like it, yeah like joey pointed out like you always are putting a ton of counters onto it so instead of just losing all of those like you're gonna get paid back eventually uh, it's such a powerful powerful card i don't know if i would call it a pinata necessarily but yeah. it, it's just a way to make sure that whenever something does die like you're not completely getting blown out mm -hmm. i just know that it, it, it's a lot of candy that's how i feel about it's it a so, lot it, of yeah. candy it's great. All right, Matt, take us to our next point here. What's another thing that you can do to prepare against setbacks and board wipes? Um, well, just play more cards. You know, we talked about sandbagging cards, but eventually, like, if you just keep running things out, like, people are going to run out of answers eventually. So if you just deploy enough threats and just say, uh, I mean, Dana's Recce deck is probably the best narration of this effect where mm. uh, he's just running out threat after threat after threat after threat. Um, a lot of it's, you know, partially due to just Recce's nature of just every single creature he casts in that in and most non-creatures actually too. Um, <laughs> they just replace themselves in Dana's hands. So Dana's able to just keep a steady stream of threats coming out. Um, so just staying relentless, always attacking. Um, eventually, people are just going to run out of ways to deal with your board state. Yeah, that deck is insane, dude. Dana, I have I love the way you've constructed that, but like we've genuinely played against your recce deck where we leveled three board wipes against just your stuff and you still managed to rebuild every single time. So you didn't need to protect the board necessarily. You didn't need to over protect anything because like even if stuff was taken away, you'd still be able to keep going because that's just how efficient and fast it was able to be. That's a great example, Matt. 
another one that 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 plays kind of similar to that, I always feel like is Marchesa the Black Rose. Um, because the way she works, you know, people tend to play that deck with a lot of creatures that have ways to get plus one counters on them. And once Marchesa's on the field, you feel like, okay, well, I need to have two board wipes I can cast in one turn to get rid of this board state because anything you mm. cast is going to come back anyway. And then so you're like, well, I, I hope that, that someone else here can follow up my Wrath of God with their own Wrath of God because otherwise we're just never going to cut through all of this. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And I think that there's something interesting going on with the way that those decks can be built as well. So like Dana, I know in your recce deck, you're certainly playing a card like Heroic Intervention, but I don't think you're overfilling the deck with too many of those effects that would like give your board indestructible or something like that. I don't feel like you're playing a whole bunch of them because there's kind of a knowledge there that since the deck is so efficient and so fast that if you did have too many protective things it would kind of get in the way of the momentum you're able to carry in that deck i guess it's like kind of an instance where if you plan too much for plan b and plan c that can sometimes be the thing that causes plan a to stumble in the first place and if plan a is good enough sometimes you can just keep barreling forward no matter what your opponents are up to yeah definitely um you just sometimes don't like there are some decks where you want to have those heroic interventions and rapid vigor kind of effects to protect yourself from the board up like we talked about on last week's show how to deal with dodging those kind of things and protect that board state mm -hmm. um but yes if you're packing too many of those like in my recce deck for example i don't want to draw that when i'm trying to hit that kind of creature storm count before I can do an alpha strike on somebody. I don't want to draw heroic intervention or rapid vigor. I want to draw another creature that I can play to maybe draw me three more cards, hopefully two of which are <laughs> creatures and, and keep that chain going to get that big swing in. Um, heroic intervention is a crazy powerful card. So I am running that one in the deck, oh, yeah. but that's the only one I need. And that's just because that card is insane. Matt, all I'm hearing is that we need to, instead of trying three board wipes against Dana, we need to prepare like six. Or seven. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, and counter spells to protect them. And, <laughs> and, and. Um, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, Dana's deck, I mean, it's a, probably one of the more powerful decks that we play when we play at twitch.tv slash EDH recast Wednesday evenings. Hey. Um, but also, like, that deck is very, very well tuned. That's something that, I mean, Dana, that's kind of been a labor yes. of love, I would dare say. Um, so, yeah, get, metagaming all of our decks around one of Dana's decks may not be the most oh, fruitful yeah. of uh, no, situations no, right. for us. <laughs> I was I was purely going for the facetious joke. No, I just I think it's an important thing to keep in mind that there are some decks that like they have such powerful forward momentum that that is the thing to focus on instead of trying to protect the board is that you can just move fast enough sometimes that that is the better strategy because player removal is also a way of protecting your board in some cases as well. Uh, let's move on to another category here. And this is another one that I'm really, really partial to in terms of protecting my stuff. It's especially important for me when I'm rebuilding. Like if I have gone through like a board wipe just happened and I'm really, really set back and I need some time to get my board back up, a, an effect like Goad just makes me feel so much safer and better. So Cardur, the Doom Scourge, who makes all of my opponents attack each other, a card like Disrupt Decorum and Geode Rager, which goads all of target players' creatures whenever you landfall, those make me feel a lot more protected because if everyone else is rebuilding faster than I am and I really need to find a way back into the game after someone's destroyed all of my stuff, these are the type of cards to give me that time so that I can set back up. Well, when we were talking about sandbagging, I think we, we kind of focused a lot on not overextending 
extending into people that might board wipe or not overextending into, you know, watching other people beat each other up, like let them do the work, just hang back. But part of the strength of sandbagging also is just not making yourself a threat. Like not putting yourself in a position where people are trying to remove your stuff or are looking at you like you're something scary. Um, and Goad kind of forces that. It keeps people from, from attacking you. It keep, it enforces them to attack one another. So it's kind of the same thing that you get from that, that, you know, looking meek aspect of sandbagging that we didn't touch on too much is go just forces people to not look your direction. They, they have to hit one another and it keeps you safe and lets you do your thing and go kind of untouched for a few turns while everyone else is taking the, taking the brunt of the blows. Yeah, I mean, any pillow fort type of strategy here can kind of get inserted too. just mm. people can't really yeah. attack you if you're literally forcing them to attack other people. But it also applies to people can't attack you if it costs 12 mana to attack with one single creature. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, just being able to deflect the attention away from other people. Um, maybe you never extended to begin with. Like Dana said, like you're just never making yourself a threat. So, yes, forcing people to attack is always good. But then. Um, if you just never become public enemy number one, uh, people have no reason to attack you. Yeah. And and also, I, I guess, like, I've kind of toyed around with Goad in even, like, some of the more Voltron-y decks that I end up playing. Because in those cases, there's only one creature that my opponents have to get rid of to really just knock everything off of the pedestal that I was trying to set up. And in those cases, too... It's a little bit faster for me to be able to set up, so I sometimes only need the one turn that some of these goad or defensive effects can provide. And so that's just where, like, just buying yourself that one turn of safety and especially forcing your opponents to deal with each other, I just feel like that can be very, very useful, not just in the cases where you're playing a go-wide strategy, but also in the cases where you're playing something that goes really tall. All right, guys, this is really awesome. And we've got some other tips that we want to get into, too. But there's another thing we like doing here on this show, and that's uh, that's challenging the stats because there's just so much data on EDHREC, and sometimes we don't always agree with it. We think that cards see either too much or too little play. So let's pause real quick from our main topic and challenge some of those stats. Dana, how about you start us off this week? What's your challenge? Um, my challenge is brought to us by listener Commander Tech. And it's for a old card, uh, I know you're shocked by that, from way back in Weatherlight. Um, <laughs> it's Urborg Justice, black, black for an instant. Um, target opponent sacrifices a creature for each creature put into your graveyard from the battlefield this turn. So it's kind of a uh, on-theme card for making somebody else at least pay the price for doing something to your board state. Um, it's only currently in about 158 decks, and there isn't even a preferred commander for it. Uh, it can do real work, particularly in a deck based around sacrificing things, where you are frequently in control of what things are being put into your own graveyard. The the Moldrothas and the Marins and the Caradors of the world, it lets you just do the thing you were already doing while then punishing one person and removing a chunk of their creatures at the same time after you've already deleted a few of your things. Um, doesn't maybe generate the amount of hatred that a grave pack kind of effect will either that's always going to be in place and hitting everybody. So it's just a one-time thing, but it's also an instant speed effect. So it gives you a lot of kind of versatility and utility as well. And 158 decks isn't very many for a card that's that effective. It's a little bit on the pricey side now. It's up to about $6, so it's not super cheap. And it's on the reserve list, so oh. it could get even uglier than that down the road. But it's affordable at the moment, and it's a pretty effective card. It should be in more than 158 decks. So thank you, Commander Tech, for that suggestion. 
What a funky card. And also, what a great way to for our listeners uh, submitting challenges to know exactly how to worm their way right to Dana's heart. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just like this card only in 150 decks. It's from an old set, like, I don't know, Stronghold, did you say, or something like that? Yeah. Like, that's such a, a perfect way to hit all of the buttons for Dana. Well done. Well done. Um, kind of riffing off of that, actually, I also have a challenge that I'm going to submit for a very Aristocrats-style deck. I'm talking about Yawgmoth, Thran, Physician, the four-mana Mono black commander, human cleric, two four sacrifices your stuff to draw cards and put minus one counters everywhere, and then he can proliferate if you discard cards. It's so good, but I don't think that like players are using enough this awesome card called Relic Vial in this deck. Like Yogmoth forces you to pay life when you sacrifice creatures so that you can draw cards, which makes an effect like a Bastion of Remembrance or a Blood Artist to regain that life for you super, super important. Like Bastion of Remembrance shows up in 65% of Yogmoth decks because it resupplies you on the life that you pay whenever you're sacrificing those creatures. And the card Relic Vial does basically that same thing. It's a three mana artifact from Zendikar Rising that whenever your stuff dies, if you control a cleric, you drain a life. And since Yawgmoth is a cleric, you're going to be able to do that. Only 9% of Yawgmoth players are using Relic Vial so far. I feel like it should be way up higher because here's another awesome drain effect that works perfectly with your cleric commander. So, Dana, we're on a wavelength this week, apparently, because sacrificing stuff, it's a whole lot of fun. And this is just going to make it even more spicy. You're, you're a bad influence on me and our listeners, Joey. <laughs> oh, no. All right, Matt, bring us home. Round it out. Give us something more wholesome, maybe, because apparently I'm a bad influence. Well, yes, you are a bad influence, but I'm actually going to um, uplift something that Dana actually has been doing um, also on twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast Wednesday evenings um, whenever we play games. <laughs> um, so Dana built an Arden uh, Intrepid Archaeologist deck. Um, has partner uh, two and a white for two two core scout. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may attach any number of auras and equipment you control to target permanent or player. Um, also has partner. So I believe you uh, partnered uh, Arden up with Essior, is it, Dana? It is. Which is, yeah, another uh, partner commander gives things ward. Did you gentlemen know um, you can put cards with partner in the 99 of decks? <laughs> that actually is possible. You know, I've heard of this. This is I've, I've heard that some. Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I think I've seen that once or twice. Maybe. Um, yeah. So so turns out you can do that as as I would like people to know. Um, Arden is only in 3300 decks currently, um, just over 3000. Um, Arden's a. 50 60 cent card right now um and arden is so stinking powerful so when it comes to rebuilding after board wipes say somebody gets rid of your voltron uh you had all these artifacts and equipments and all that stuff on it um play arden and you can just reestablish, pay all those equip costs that it cheats all of those um it's just such a powerful card for rebuilding um where i specifically want to give it a plug um, is in SRAM Senior uh, Edificer decks, which is one of the probably the most popular equipment theme decks, um, theme commanders, I should say. Um, so SRAM is just that um, dwarf advisor. Whenever you cast an aura, equipment, or vehicle spell, you draw a card. So you're able to keep your hand very, very full, um, use things to just keep casting. With Arden around, you don't even have to worry about paying all those equip costs. You just slap them onto something at the beginning of combat and you go to town. Um, currently only 20% of the thousand SRAM decks that have been built since Commander Legends came out, which is when Arden came out, um, are including Arden Intrepid Archaeologists. I think that number is wildly, wildly too low because we always say one of the weaknesses of equipment decks is that they're very, very mana hungry because equip costs can add up. You're basically paying twice for one effect. 
Arden cheats half of those costs. And I think that is just such an insanely powerful effect. Uh, Dana has shown us time and time again with his deck, with Arden at the helm, that you can put Arden in the 99 and be easily just as impactful. I think people do, uh, you know, you joked about it, Matt, but I do think people sometimes forget that you can just, or not forget, but they just don't think about partner cards by themselves <laughs> in a deck and not in the command zone. So like, I, I think that is a real thing people kind of tend to mentally kind of mm -hmm. surf past. I mean, I've been looking for a way to put Rayhan into all of the decks that I own. <laughs> I already have a Rayhan deck, but I also just love Rayhan so much that I want Rayhan to go everywhere. But yeah, Matt, I totally love that because one of the things about Pure Steel Paladin, which is that uh, other equipment card that it draws you cards when you play equipment, which is one of the big selling points for Pure Steel Paladin for sure. But another thing that it does is also makes your equip costs free. And I feel like that also is like a huge component of how good that card is, which is why it shows up in 10,000 decks. And we've definitely seen that Arden is capable of a whole bunch of crazy stuff. So, so even if it's doing half of what the Pure Steel Paladin is up to, that half is still really good. And it should approach closer to Pure Steel Paladin's numbers than it should be at like the 3,000 or something that you said. So I'm totally with you. Yeah, barely over 3,000. And, and even if you can't afford a Pure Steel Paladin, like I said, this, this card is 50 cents. It's not even a dollar, folks. Like load up, go to cardkingdom.com slash EDHRECast, snaggy some Arden. But make sure that you attack Dana with it and not matter because uh, we're still rebuilding our board after uh, Dana wipes the board. Because we're being friendly and telling you about Arden. <laughs> All right, guys, let's get back into our main topic. We are talking about ways to mitigate against, prepare for, or rebuild after big setbacks, especially board wipes. Dana, here's another type of preparation effect that I feel like I kind of learned by watching you, if that makes any sense. Um, this is a, basically I would call it like carefully timing your board dependent draw. And the reason I feel like I've learned this by watching you is because you introduced me to a card called Minions Murmurs, which draws you a bunch of cards for each of the creatures that you control. And then there's also other effects like Pact of the Serpent, which again draws you cards for each type of a creature that you control. And so these can be very, very very good draw spells when your board is big, but after a board wipe, they don't do a dang thing because you don't have any creatures. So this is kind of a, a type of card that I think can prepare you against a setback because it will fill up your hand so much, but you do have to be very cognizant of when you use them. Like if you sense that there's a board wipe in the air, even though you want to get more value out of these draw spells, casting them sooner than later is probably really, really important to make sure that you've got enough cards in hand that you can survive and keep replaying more stuff, even if a board wipe does eventually come down the pike. It, it turns into a little bit of a mini game where you're like trying to kind of keep an eye on the greed meter and see how far <laughs> you want to push push that greed meter before you're willing to actually cast a spell. And sometimes you get burned. It crosses into that red line and someone board wipes and you're left with nothing. I'm so sorry to laugh so much at that, but the greed meter is, first of all, a perfect description of it. And for you to introduce it to the conversation, Mr. <laughs> I'll pay 10 life for one card, is just very funny to me. <laughs> oh, I am well aware of my own shortcomings as far as uh, the, the dumb things I'm willing to do to fill that meter up, for sure. Oh, man. But yes, yeah, absolutely. And and there are also, you know, I just named two that also make you lose life to draw cards. But Matt, right. I'm sure that you're... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and see, I learned it by watching you, Dana. But Matt, I'm sure you're really familiar with a card like Shamanic Revelation, which gains you life instead. 
Yep, definitely gains you life. Camaraderie is another card that falls into this category. Um, just very, very good. They reward you for making sure your board stays alive long enough to cast and resolve one of these. Hopefully you get to resolve it. Um, but yeah, like just anything that rewards you for having the board state, um, making sure, you, you know, just sometimes it's better just to get your early harvest in and um, get everything out, get the value um, before somebody's able to answer because they once they know you have cards like that in your deck, they're not going to let you get too much value out of it. Now, you said early harvest. I don't think you were talking about the spell. I think you were just talking about like the concept of harvesting. I'm talking about harvesting the fields, yes, <laughs> not not the actual um, early harvest spell. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And these also are effects that, you know, come in a whole bunch of colors. Like some of them do have that tribal bend, and another one in this ilk is Distant Melody, which uh, you'll draw a card for each type of creature um, among a certain type. And Dana, I think I've seen you maybe use that in your Talrand deck. Maybe I'm mistaken. But you do make a whole bunch of drakes there that Distant Melody would draw a whole bunch of cards. I, I do run it there, and it is also one where I'm, I I've, have plenty of games where you're sitting there holding it, and like, okay, I've got six drakes out, but if I wait a turn, I might have <laughs> right. 11, or I might have none. What do I do? Let's go for 11. That's, oh, yeah. And, and these, I think, are probably the toughest to time well, because, yeah. I mean, so many of them are sorcery speed, and you do have to figure out, you have to, like, sort of sense the air, like... Is there a board wipe going to come around the table? Is that person holding up their mana? What's going on? So these, I think, are very difficult cards to use. And when they flop, they flop hard, which can sometimes cause players to dislike them a little bit because, well, you know, I've got zero creatures. These cards don't do anything for me. But if you do use them well, they can prepare you for an eventuality of a board wipe to make sure that you're still going to be good, even if a board wipe does come down. And I feel like these are just such a great insurance policy. Whenever I see one of them in my hand, I'm like, I'm like, okay, cool. I think I can play this right. And I can make sure that even if something bad happens, I'm still going to be okay. Yeah, when when you hit that sweet spot where you're like, okay, I'm not going to push her any further. I'm just going to draw a really good amount of cards off of this. Um, and, and then the board up eventually comes, and then you are the person that can just bounce back because you did it, because you didn't get too greedy. You were smart. You were careful. Um, yeah, feels fantastic. <laughs> that that greed meter. I just want us to, like, when, when we're streaming on twitch.tv slash EDHRATCast, we should create a greed meter for each of the players. Matt's will be, like, negative. Mine will be... <laughs> You know, pretty sizable, probably like halfway through the bar. Dana's will have exploded. Mine will it, always be in the red. Yes. <laughs> every single time. Okay, Matt, take us to our next category. What is another thing that you can do to help rebuild after a board wipe? Um, so there's a whole category of cards that we always love. Uh, we, we like well-timed fogs, but a lot of these fogs these days, um, they have incredible upside. Like I've sang the praises of Arachnogenesis for a long time. Mm. Uh, maybe a more recent version of that um, is Ink Shield, the one that it prevents all the combat damage, but then you get to make a whole army of Inklings. They both are amazing at turning what looks like into a very, very vulner vulnerable position and turning it into an overwhelmingly powerful position in, in the blink of an eye. Uh, they're both insanely powerful. I'm a huge fan of both of these cards. Um, so yeah, this is a very easy way to um, put a board down almost instantly. In fact, it is at instant speed. So yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, just they're, they're both great and powerful cards that are able to redevelop your board state in a matter of moments. I, I, the, the arachnogenesis plays that you have pulled off are like mind games to the 10th degree. I feel like the only time I've ever seen arachnogenesis not work against you, Matt, is when we were playing with Tomer from MTG Goldfish and he had a changeling deck, so, which did. happened to be spiders as well. And arachnogenesis prevents damage from all non-spiders. So his changelings actually still managed to deal damage. 
but you still got a whole bunch of spiders anyway. So it was still at its worst, just a regular fog, which is awesome. But like, I've seen you go from literally zero creatures in play to 60 creatures in play. And then you just slam a quick plus one, plus one or plus two on your next turn. And then you've killed everyone immediately on your next turn. Like, it's just absolutely crazy how you went from literally zero to 100 in those cases. So these are so good. It's the finer things in life, Joey. The finer things in life. <laughs> Yeah. And especially, like you mentioned, these are things that are really good when you look vulnerable. You kind of look like, oh, man, I got completely set back. There's nothing I can do. I've only got these two cards in hand. But that's when these cards suddenly become at their prime. There's another one, uh, Selfless Squire, that I really like as well. It enters the battlefield, prevents all damage that would be dealt to you. And then for each damage that would have been dealt to you this turn, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So you could end up with like a 2020 Selfless Squire and you prevent your opponent's damage. They're probably tapped out and you can just clock them for Money on the crackback. That's another great one. You also have things like Batwing Broom, which is a card that I always assume is some kind of a creature and is in fact not. Um, <laughs> it's an instant speed spell that prevents all combat damage those dealt this turn. And if you spend a white mana to cast it, um, and if you also spend a black mana, each player loses a life for each creature attacking you they control, um, which is a nice little bonus sometimes. But it's also a way to kill people once in a while, even if somebody isn't attacking you with some kind of an infinite creature thing they've made. If that Cranko deck swings at you with 14 goblins, you're just not, you're not only going to not take that damage. Doing 14 to them can sometimes be enough to take somebody out of the game. This thing's crazy. This card's only in 718 decks. That's way too low. That's a bonus challenge, everyone, this week. Because everyone thinks it's a creature, Joe. <laughs> I know. I think. I think the, those seven hundred decks. I think those are all modern decks that got mislabeled in in Moxfield or Architect because um, it's, it's a sideboard card in modern. I know, but I haven't seen it anywhere else but there. This, yeah, this is a really, really cool one from like what Eventide or something like that. So yeah, that's another great one where you've kind of lured your opponents into a false sense of security. And then they hit you and a, no, no, I'm going to hit you back. This reminds me a lot of Deflecting Palm as well, which like if they're going to hit you with one big creature, Deflecting Palm is just like, no, it hits you back instead. And that can be another great way. Like when you have experienced a board wipe and you look completely vulnerable, these are things that you can do to completely slam it back in your opponent's face. These are great. Yeah, um, you know, Deflecting Palm also functions similarly where it's a way to turn that attack into an actual offensive spell. Um Sheldon Mennery has a deck built entirely around these kind of effects, the Stop Hitting oh, yeah. Yourself deck. And <laughs> like, like that's a, just a really nice swing to turn a situation where it looked like you were going to lose a bunch of life into one where the opponent, opponent swinging at you is instead the one that lost it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, clever fogs are very, very, very powerful. And those even just one or two of those in your deck can be the exact type of thing that after a board wipe, you still feel extremely secure. You're still in this game. You've got some tricks up your sleeve. Let's move to our next category here. And these are kind of interesting wraths effects that I think are kind of cool. They're a little bit lopsided maybe, or at least they've really helped pull you back into the game. And Dana, this is kind of going back to the decree of pain example that you mentioned earlier, where you'll destroy a whole bunch of stuff and get a big reward for it. Those can also be exactly the type of thing to get you right back into a game. Even after you've experienced a board wipe, you can just wait for other people to rebuild a little bit and then do a board wipe of your own that also puts a bunch more stuff onto the battlefield or back into your hand. A card that I really like in this ilk is Necrotic Hex. It's like a seven mana spell and then each of your opponents has to sacrifice six creatures. I think you also have to sacrifice six creatures, but when I'm playing this card, I don't have any creatures to sacrifice anyway. And then you get six zombie tokens. And it's like, boom, instant board, and they don't have anything. And that just feels like a really great way to get back into the game. One of the things green um, is weak in is board wipes, um, particularly ways to just destroy all creatures. 
Um, it does, however, have weird things like Azuri's Predation, mm. which is five and trip green, so eight mana, which is a lot. But for each creature your opponents control, and that's not just an opponent, that's all opponents. You make a 4-4 green beast creature token, and each of those beasts fights a different creature. So you're going to make, you know, 6, 8, 10, 12, maybe more creatures. They're all going to fight something. They're 4-4, four, four, so there's a decent chance they're going to kill whatever it is they're fighting. And then you're going to leave a handful of creatures behind as blockers or attackers possibly next time around the board. That's a really, really good card that could change a tide of the game in a hurry. It very much feels like a one-sided board wipe um, just in that a lot of your stuff is going to that you didn't even previously have is going to now survive. And you know what? I've even seen Matt pair this card with a Garrick's Uprising, which draws him a card whenever like a creature with power four or greater enters the battlefield under his control. So there are also ways that not only will you right. fight a whole bunch of stuff, get an instant board, but you can also just like draw a bunch of cards off of it. Like that feels absolutely perfect. And Matt, frankly, I just think it's gross, but also in a way that makes me like really pleased. So like I can't even be mad at it because it's just so much fun. I mean, I, I'm glad you guys are finally seeing these finer things that I've been telling you about for 180 <laughs> episodes now. Um, but yeah, like I'll, all these green doesn't do everything perfectly yet. Give it a couple years. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> um, but yeah, like being able to just establish the board and using that board to wipe the rest of the board. It's, it's an insanely powerful effect, um, but there's all sorts of different ways. Um, Marshall coup is a, also a very, Ooh. very powerful, or if you're, if you're Dana, Marshall Kalp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is just very, 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 very powerful board wipe but also just reestablishes your board right away right after um just there's several different spells like that um always worth uh, you know worth looking at when you're looking to round out the deck this is a, a, a song that you've been singing, I think, ever since like episode two or something like that, of like playing these interesting wraths. Instead of Wrath of God, you tend to prefer those ones that like even a Phyrexian Rebirth, which destroys all the stuff and then you get a big token. Like those are also the types of wraths that can really get you back into the game depending upon your strategy because they just refill the board. So I feel like you've got a real affinity for these. Yeah, uh, board wipes with upside are always, always a welcome addition to my decks. And I will have you know, Matt, Marshall Kaup is my favorite character from Bonanza. <laughs> <laughs> perfect perfect dana that's so silly i'll also say this is kind of a, a version of the batwing broom situation that we just discussed in the clever fogs category earlier but there are also some board wipes that really punish your opponent's for overextending in a certain way. So it's kind of like you're answering someone setting you back with your own way of setting them back. But there are some that I've used that these are wraths that can literally kill people. Uh, so Deadly Tempest, for example, is one that I really, really like because it destroys all creatures. And then each person loses life for each of the creatures that they lost. So if I just got my board wiped and everyone else is rebuilding, 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 and oh no, there's a whole bunch of tokens over there. I've literally cast a Deadly Tempest and then not only did they lose their board, they lost all of their life points, which is all also really, really cool. So even there's some deadly ones there that won't just give you a board back that they'll also just like be really, really punishing. Well, Joey, so that sounds a lot like kind of just our next category in general. So I'm just going to scoot us along here Ooh. into kind of the, the mutually assured destruction category. I know this is something you're <laughs> you're very, very fond of. Um, uh -huh. And this is kind of what sparked the entire episode, actually, uh, for today. Uh, but there's all sorts of different cards that uh, maybe they don't stop 
the board wipes from happening. Maybe they don't help reestablish, but at least you're making sure things go out with a bang, um, sometimes mm. literally. <laughs> very, very, very much. And I think I hinted at some of these last episode. A card that I really, really like is Vicious Shadows, a seven mana red enchantment where whenever stuff dies, it deals damage to your opponent's equal to the number of cards in their hand. You just pick an opponent per creature. Like, it's just so, so good. And I feel like in these cases, these cards can be so powerful at the damage they'll deal when your stuff dies or when stuff dies in general that it really makes your opponents like i can't wrath the board anymore i i can't afford to lose that much life if i destroy their board but their board is also going to kill me but if i kill their board that also kills me and that feels like just a great to me it feels like a form of protection matt and dana i know that it doesn't feel like a protective element to you guys but that mutually assured destruction effect seems so great and there are cards that can do it vicious shadows is a favorite the dragon's side of outpost siege can also deal damage when your creatures would leave. I love me a Sir Conrad. Whenever stuff dies, you're all going to take a bunch of damage on the way out. That feels like a really awesome form of like, I'm here, uh, you could kill my board, but I have prepared for that eventuality and it's you're going to pay for it if you try. Uh, these tend to feel more offensive. Um, you're using them as weapons than they are as like a way to discourage people from attacking you or as a way to rebuild. But I mean, very often they do functionally work that way. I, I think of Matt's uh, Ukima the Stalking Shadow mm. uh, deck he has partnered with uh, Kazir Ruthless Stalker. Um, Okima's a 2-2 that says whenever it leaves the battlefield, it deals X damage to target player and you gain that, that amount of life. But it's never a 2-2. It's a, you know, 8-8 or a 10-10 or a 14-14 or something stupid. <laughs> and you very quickly find yourself in a position where you're like, I kind of can't board wipe right now. Yep. And this thing is, this thing can't be blocked. So now I have to worry it's going to come at me. And okay, if I try to remove it, then I'm taking the damage anyway. So it becomes a problem that's very, very difficult to deal with. And you find yourself backed into a corner where there's, there's just nothing you can do to respond to it. Because it's it's an exit the battlefield trigger too. So like oftentimes for these kind of things, a sword to plowshares or a chaos warp will work around them because they um, exile it or shuffle it. That doesn't do anything for Ukima. It leaves the battlefield prox no matter what. So you very much find yourself in a position where there's just nothing you can do to avoid taking damage. And that's a pretty potent tool to have in your arsenal. Now, Dana, I appreciate the compliments towards Ukima and Kazer. <laughs> I really do. Um, but your Veil of the Nightclad deck also functions oh. on a very similar axis. So, like, I, I feel like throwing all the shade when shade can be thrown back <laughs> at, fair, at the one fair. clad in night. Because um, Veil of the Nightclad, like, you, you throw all these artifact creatures onto the battlefield, and then you have a, a Krark Clan Ironworks or something to be able to sacrifice them all at instant speed and basically just knock down the entire table all at once. Um, so that also is a pretty fearsome deck. Um, as much as I enjoy, you know, flickering Kazer and doing all those things, um, you also have domed the table for a hundred life in one turn. I would, I would be willing to bet. I feel like it's 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 a little bit less of a problem when I'm doing it to people than it is when people are doing it to me. Oh, that, <laughs> see, that makes sense. That adds up. The math the math checks out there. No, well, okay, so here's something fun, um, is that, like, you just mentioned commanders that you guys have, but these are also effects that, I mean, you can put those cards into the 99 because they are very good, but there are also, like, alternate versions of them that you can put into the 99. Uh, I'm thinking of the card Dying Wish here, which is an enchantment aura that you put on a creature you control, and when that creature dies, target player loses X life, and you gain X life, or X is its power. So you can kind of turn something into an Okima if you happen to have a big 10... 20 power creature or whatever and it dies that can be a thing that like all right you killed my thing and it's 
gonna hit you a whole bunch on the way out, which I totally, totally love. And then Dana, for yours, with all of the artifacts that you're doing in that Vela deck, like Matt mentioned, I mean, Marionette Master also makes me feel pretty good if I'm playing an artifact deck and you try to kill all of the artifacts, Marionette Master is going to make you lose a bunch of life if the artifacts die. So that's another thing that you can do, not just in the command zones like you guys have them, but also just in your 99, there are forms of taking you down with me. And you have things like Kamal Fistacrosa, where you can animate a land and make it a creature, and it's not just your own land. <gasps> so, like, there's been plenty oh. of situations where, you know, someone's gone to cast a board wipe, and I've been able to say to them, are you sure you want to do that? Because I'm just going to turn five of your lands into creatures, and you're also going to lose those in response to that wrath. Um, and sometimes they still do it because they need to get rid of the board, but, like, that's a real option you have to discourage people from touching your board and to keep you in a good position is say, hey, I'm just going to make your lands into creatures and they're going to go away. Dana, that is so unbelievably nasty. I, I think there's an old version of Joel Rael that also animates target players' lands too, or a spell like Natural Affinity that turns all of the lands into creatures. So if someone does wipe the board, like all the lands will be going with you. And maybe if you have a Titania deck or something, that can be something that you actually end up taking advantage of when your lands that are also creatures would die along with the board wipe. That's really, really nasty. That is definitely the type of mutually assured destruction that I feel would prevent me from wanting to wipe the board personally. But sometimes you do, you are stuck in positions where you've absolutely got to do it. So dang, that's that's really crazy. Matt, are there any other effects that uh, spring to your mind when it comes to this mutually assured destruction type of category? I mean, the the enchantments, Martyr's Bond and Karmic Justice both spring to mind. Uh, they both are very good at discouraging folks from doing much. And mm. if they do want to, like, you're definitely going to pay them back in kind and, and sometimes even more. Um, both great cards, both powerful that um, I... <laughs> I almost forget about them sometimes because I think Martyr's Bond hasn't been reprinted in, in quite some time. Yeah. Um, and Karmic Justice, same thing. It was in like a pre-con a few years ago, but um, they just kind of slipped out of public mind, I think, and, and aren't really getting the attention they deserve if you're looking for these types of effects. Right. Martyr's Bond is like a grave pact, but for all of your permanence, and it's in white, right? Which is mm -hmm. awesome. And then Karmic Justice is like, if your opponents kill like your enchantments and your artifacts, then you can kill anything you want of theirs. Like those are also really good, like for an enchantress deck or something. It's kind of like, go ahead, play a Bane of Progress. I dare you, because <laughs> I'll just kill off all of your stuff in retaliation. Yeah. In white, especially the ability to do that, is, which is such a just strange thing to see. Um, but even just removing the karmic justice is a, is going to cost you something. <laughs> right, yeah, because it does count itself. That's really savage. And you know what? There's one other here that springs to my mind as well that is kind of a mutually assured destruction card. Dana, I distinctly recall playing against you in your artifact deck where you had a revel and riches in play. And that one gives you a bunch of treasures when your opponent's stuff dies. And if you've got 10 treasures on your upkeep, you'll win the game. Well, when the board is big and you've got a Revel and Riches in play, I cannot cast a board wipe at all because you will just win on your turn. So that's another kind of form of like, all right, go ahead, wrath the board, I dare you. And even without maybe the win condition, like, okay, say there's only eight creatures in play and I have no treasures, you are still in the position where like, I'm going to give that person eight treasures. Like that's significant <laughs> yeah. sometimes and it's going to help that person rebuild way faster than you're going to rebuild. 
Yeah, these are totally, totally crazy. I'm really fond of the mutually assured destruction stuff. I'm also really fond of drawing cards when my creatures die. There are, I think, different personal affinities for each of us to different categories here. But hopefully, listeners, these have been instructive for you to find here are different ways that you can prepare for, you know, a possible board wipe, a possible setback, or ways that you can rebuild really efficiently after it, because we've all got our different predilections for it. Matt, for example will probably arachnogenesis me on the very next game that we play because he will have lured me into a false sense of security and totally taken advantage of it. But I, I love that we all have those different styles. I mean, I am looking forward to it. Yeah, we, we all have our different ways that we like to handle um, these types of situations, these types of cards. I agree. Mm-hmm. And Dana, of course, his is the greedometer. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys, this was such a fun episode, but let's call it to a close. If our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, um, I hear we're streaming on twitch.tv slash EHRETCAST. We have some awesome guests every single week. So make sure you tune in. Um, It's always a super fun time. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter words at Dana Roach. You can hear me on the other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and for Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRECcast on both Facebook and Twitter as well. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors once more too. They are TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. And you can visit Altersleeves.com slash EDHRECcast for cool, custom EDHREC sleeves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but... Until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Mm-hmm.